Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Holy Ordinary. I'm your host, Laura Kelly, and this episode is about ecotherapy. Um, so it's an interview with Miss Sarah Vogel, who will kind of introduce herself in the beginning of the interview. Um, I was introduced to her through a class I took this past semester. I read one of her articles that she's written for Blue Ridge Outdoors and was just really interested in her perspective and um, what she had to say about nature and our relationship to it. So I would definitely encourage you to go check out that article. Um, but if you want to have contact with her, just let me know because um, I can put you in touch with her if you have more questions about um, ecotherapy or about what she does or her travels or anything like that. Um, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Just kind of introduce yourself and talk about how you got into your career, um, your connection to nature, and how you like started with writing the article. Okay, sure. Yeah, that's a lot to cover. But yeah. um, okay, well, my name is Sarah Vogel, and um, as far as my career, uh, I was talking about it a little bit earlier. But um, you know, I'm a vocational counselor, which is like a job coach, I'm still in the um, social services field. Um, and I've always kind of been in the mental health field um, and social services uh, ever since I started working. Um, but I've always kind of had moments where I switch around. I've traveled a lot. I've been kind of a digital nomad for a little while. I taught English for my computer for about two years. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you can imagine imagine social services field um, can get pretty dark. It can get um, a little bit weary. So there have been times where I've taken a pause and um, gone off to travel. And so that's one thing that um, really kind of, I mean, I've always been a nature lover. I have always, I grew up um, in Massachusetts and had a huge, um, you know, forest in the backyard that I'd love to go play in. Um, but, you know, I really got interested in the intersection of psychology and nature um, after I had this trip to Costa Rica that I wrote about in the article uh, where I was talking to one of the Ticos, which is a Costa Rican local. And, you know, he asked me what I did and my Sp his English wasn't good. My Spanish wasn't good. And so I said, you know, soy terapeuta, which you know, I'm not, it, that means I'm a therapist. I'm not a therapist, but I could not think of any other way to describe it with my very limited vocabulary. And of course, like he thought I meant massage therapist <laughs> for massage. Um, and then, you know, I was like, no, 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 that's not exactly what it is. Um, and I tried to explain it the best I could. I was like, you know, it's when people are, you know, I try to help people when they're angry and sad. And he just, the concept wasn't there. Um, and after my experience in Costa Rica, where they were so like their culture is just hand in hand with nature. Um, I was really fascinated by that. So when I came back to the US, I started researching it, which is how I got started into writing this article. Um, so also as a side note, almost like what, 
you, you seem to have traveled a lot. I know you mentioned that you went to uh, Panama, I believe, as well. Um, I think you mentioned in the article you went to China at one point. So, like, where does all the travel come in? <laughs> well, um, I, I, I don't know. I think um, I've always had kind of itchy feet. I've um, not like athlete's foot, but like I want <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I first of all, I have never lived in one place for very long. Um, my time in Appalachia is actually the longest I've ever been in one place, which has now been, I've come and gone from this area up for the last 10 years. And, um, you know, that's kind of felt like home now. Um, but I've always been kind of attracted to traveling. And a lot of times it's like, it feels like the thing to do to escape when, um, you know, when you don't know what you're doing with your life and it's like, <laughs> let's just move forward wherever yeah. that may be. Um, and the times of travel that I've had recently, um, when I was a digital nomad, when I was teaching, um, you know, English from my computer and I was able to do so, um, you know, I really just, as I was saying before, I was an intensive in-home counselor where I was working with at-risk kids. Um, I saw a lot of really, uh, really depressing things kind of, um, it, it shook my kind of faith in humanity a little bit. I think I was not in a good place uh, when I first left for Panama. It was like, I needed to do something um, or uh, my mind was going to break or something. So I actually had a friend of mine who lived there and I reached out to him. And that's when I kind of started backpacking and doing it independently. Before that, I'd kind of traveled just for a vacation. And then this time I was like, I'm just going into the void. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just going to go out there and see what there is to see. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> hey, everybody always talks, idealizes like, I'm fed up with the world and I'm going to go out and just, you know, whatever. But being in, most people are in like suburbia, mostly involves just like going into your parents' backyard and yeah. having a little time. But that's really cool that you were like, I, mean, I would say, yeah, I would say it's easier than you think it is, but not right. anymore. I mean, yeah. I was like in the sense of like, yeah, um, you know, it's very intimidating to go and travel and uh, it, you know, you have your, your rent and your bills and, you know, everything, you have your home. That's mm -hmm. really hard to leave. Um, but uh, I think uh, I kind of went hardcore minimalist for a while and that helped a lot, you know, not having possessions helped a lot. Um, but, you know, now it's very difficult to travel. And I know, I think in the U.S. we're not allowed in some places anymore. So oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, especially <laughs> COVID traveling yeah. is impossible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So maybe one day I would definitely recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So I kind of want to start talking about your article. So you wrote this article called Mountain Medicine, Appalachian Ecotherapy, and there's a longer title to it. And why we need it now. And why we need it now. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, now, now more than ever. Exactly. Yeah. Published in November of 2019, and I could not have fathomed how quickly it would become more urgent. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. I think I also, there's an REI documentary or like short video out about, um, that we had to read it for a, a class about why people need to get away from their workplaces and they publish it, I think in like 2018, 2019. And then it's like 2020 
came yep. out of nowhere. Here we are. Yep. yep. Um, and what, so, can you ask what, um, what class were you reading this piece for? Yeah. So the class that I was in was called Science, Species, and Spirituality. So we really looked at um, a, a lot of issues with science talking about people feel science and spirituality can be incompatible. Lots of times, especially when it comes to creationism, evolution. Um, obviously, historically in the U.S., there's been lots of debate and controversy over that issue. And the class was just kind of like to say, hey, you can believe in God and not you know, be a heretic and, you know, in the science world and vice versa. Um, so that was really cool. We also just learned about like the concept of IDing bird species, IDing plant species and stuff like that and how that creates a more uh, caring relationship between you and nature. You know, like if you care about something, if you can name something, then you're going to tend to want to conserve it and fight for that species just like you would care more about somebody's problem if they're your friend or something that like that exactly yeah that was super cool that I mean you you pretty much hit the nail on the head right there was you know um it's not mutually exclusive it's so sad that uh society has pitted science and religion against each other because they are in no way incompatible in my opinion mm-hmm. um so I'm really glad that you guys I mean you know when um when y'all reached out to me and I found out that it was a you know Christian university I was like huh I never would have expected <laughs> that that would have been you know that's that's the audience that I was talking to but um I'm really glad that it did you know it it reached it reached you guys oh yeah I think everybody thoroughly enjoyed it honestly because uh the, the problem is when you hear there's not a lot of talk within Christian, the Christian denomination, Christian denominations about science for that reason, especially more abstract things like, um, ecology. Mm -hmm. It's just, people don't really see those things blending. And I think ego therapy is a really interesting field as well because of the the blend between psychology, which people in the science world have such a hard time coping with already. And then you're combining that with nature and biology. And it's just like, where's, all this coming from, all this intersect coming from. So I thought it was really cool to integrate those things. Yeah, yeah, no, ecotherapy, you're correct. It is an intersection of a lot. I mean, you know, not just science, but, you know, psychology, as you were saying, um, you know, ecology, biology, spirituality, actually, art, um, philosophy, they all kind of come together um, because a lot about nature is things that you can't explain. So, um, we try our best, we try our best to figure it out, but, uh, most of it is still a mystery. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of diving into your research on ecotherapy, where, where do you think the urge for ecotherapy, the need for ecotherapy came from? Well, I think that it's been around for a very, very, very long time. I mean, you have artists and poets um, from way back when Ralph Waldo Emerson, you know, he went off into the woods and he was like, I got to reconnect with nature. That was, you know, centuries ago. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I think it really started probably when we started to become, uh, we started to have the industrial revolution and we started to become more urban. 
um, you know, not that long ago, uh, most people were living on farmsteads. I mean, I'm talking like the 1800s, 90% of people were living on farmsteads. Um, and as we became more and more industrial, those buildings are physical barriers to nature. And, um, you know, I think that the need was there once the need has always been there to connect with nature. It's just that our ability to do so was taken away, has been taken away from us more and more as we become separated from nature. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say forever. Right. <laughs> the has been there forever. Right. Yeah. I think I definitely agree with you. It's interesting, like the new terms that come about, we feel like things uh, that haven't been there that have been there for a long time, but then you attach a new name to it and it's like a new trend, a new phenomenon. It's a discovery. I know, know yeah. <laughs> it's a new and exciting. And it's like, no, people yeah. have been doing this forever. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, one of the ecotherapists that I interviewed said, you know, ecotherapy isn't new at all. It's just giving um, a, a name to something that we've used to heal us and to help us for since the beginning of mankind. Right. Um, so going along with that, how do you see ecotherapy kind of addressing the physical and mental ailments that we are facing today? Well, um, I think particularly for, um, from your generation with the Gen Z, I think, right. You would be, you would fall under Gen Z, right. Um, you know, you guys are the first to have not had any experience with a world without smartphones or a world without constant internet, you know? I mean, even when I was growing up, we had a rotary phone, which I don't know if you know what that is, but it's the ones where you like oh, yeah. you circle and do- The yeah. ones that are covered in antique stores right now. <laughs> yes, exactly. You can probably, probably very expensive at an antique yeah. store. Um, and I'm a millennial. I'm not, I, I, oh, gosh, I'm getting old, but <laughs> I don't feel that I'm that old. And yet- the, um, you know, the change from, uh, from when I was growing up to now is huge. And so uh, Gen Z is really, really is in a, in a place that they never asked for. They were born into this. Um, and you know, it's creating serious mental health problems by being so absorbed in a screen, for example. I mean, we're now, when I did the research for my article, um, it, we were at 11 hours a day in front of a screen. I'm guessing it's gone up, especially with quarantine. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, unfortunately, you know, by spending all of that time in front of a screen, we're losing out on very many other parts of life that are super valuable. So I guess to answer your question about, you know, where ecotherapy comes into play is that, I mean, honestly, I kind of hope that this quarantine gives people an opportunity. I've noticed that more people are going on hikes. They're spending more time outside because, you know, when businesses are closed, what else are you going to do? And I'm hoping that, you know, Gen Z can see, you know, that when we locked, when, when everything was locked down, that suddenly you could see the skyline of places that haven't been seen for decades. Oh, yeah. and, you know, hold on to that and, and be like, okay, this is what it could be. And that's my, my big fear, I guess, is that, um, you know, that the generation that has only grown up with the internet and smartphones um, and Wi-Fi um, are just in the sense that that's normalcy. Um, and it, and I hope that 
I, I, I certainly hope that by having um, ecotherapy become more popular, become more mainstream, um, that maybe Gen Z can start to fight back. Because you guys are the ones who are going to be. You guys are at the forefront of this of this whole thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think. It was really interesting. Everybody that's listening to this should definitely go read the article um, that Sarah has out. It's on blueridgeoutdoors.com, I think. Um, But she really dives into like specific ailments that we might face as individuals, um, whether that's like relationship trauma, um, the obesity epidemic in the U.S., all these different things that um, can be approached with a multifaceted therapeutic attack or you know medical attack whatever whatever the problem might be but how ecotherapy really boosts that getting out and reconnecting with nature just literally helps your mental I I don't remember the statistics I don't know if you remember off the top of your head like your mental processing is better outside yes um well I'll give a quick example of one that I can think of but um you know they'll they've done memory tests which is just kind of a um, an easy way to look at how your cognitive function improves by just doing memory tests before and after, you know. So with one group, they had um, they had them do their memory test and then um, they had nothing else in between, waited for about an hour and then took it again and they made no improvements. And then there was another group that took their memory test and went and walked through an arboretum for about an hour and then they took their test again and they improved by 20 percent um which is very impressive in and of itself but then if you take people and you let them stay in the wilderness for three days and you come back and test them their memory goes up by 50 percent and it's i mean which is incredible yeah Um, yeah it, it that's just it's the most one of the most simple studies that you can do and it's pretty much cold, hard evidence that, you know, it's something that can help us. Um, so memory is one thing, obviously, you know, um, not, it's, um, one of many different parts of, of mental health. So, you know, we also have very high instances in this country of depression, ADHD, OCD, um, anxiety, and those have all been increasing, um, you know, quite a bit over the years. Um, so, Nature and nature connection and getting immersing yourself in nature combats all of those things um, and many more. It also helps improve your creativity, um, your empathy. Um, you know, it reduces your blood pressure. It actually even increases something called your NK cells, which stands for natural killer cells. They're the cells in your body that fight infection and, and cancer cells. Um, and they've found that by just walking into the forest, with a high percentage of cypress trees, um, your, your NK cells increase, um, for something like a week. Like, I mean, it's not just like, just while you're out there, the effects are ongoing. Um, so yes, 100% nature is not in, uh, one of, one of the research that are researchers, researchers that I spoke to, <laughs> um, he told me a couple of times, he said, nature is not a frill. It's not just an extra. It's necessary. We actually need it. It's not just, you know, something that could help. Um, if you don't have it, it's going to hurt you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think lots of people, as you talk about conservation of nature, the importance of going out in nature, uh, the first step, you know, throwing out those stati- statistics 
that are like, hey, these things are helpful for, I think you said like dental patients reducing their anxiety just by looking at a picture of nature, something like yeah. that. Oh, it was, yeah. Those like very small um, like things that help you recover in the hospital or help you in general just recenter yourself. Obviously, going out into nature is important for those reasons, but I think the more important reasons that you do talk about in there um, have to do with how we relate to each other and how we relate to the world and to the world of nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you could talk a little bit about how ecotherapy and how reconnecting with nature helps us as a society, like yeah. relating to one another and um, especially how it relates to what you talk about, like how we've progressed through revolutions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, we've gotten to this point where, you know, we're very disconnected from nature, but we're also very disconnected from each other as well. Um, we use our phones and we use email and Zoom and social <laughs> media to communicate with one another, but there's a lot that's lost um, by not actually being um, connected, like really physically in the real world with one another. Um, And so, you know, as far as basically, like you were saying, I think, you know, you can look at it from kind of a self uh, preservation standpoint in the sense that by reconnecting with nature, um, you're doing yourself a favor. Um, But I think you, once you get it, you know, that might be a great starting point for people is that, you know, they're like, okay, yeah, I need to improve my health or my mental health. And so I'm going to go do this. But very quickly after you start um, connecting with nature, it becomes bigger than just you. Um, And, you know, when you start connecting with nature in whatever way or, you know, form that takes for you, you start thinking about the fact that, you know, Okay, so for somebody, it might be that they like they they go out and they look at the moon and they look at the stars, and then they realize that p- other people on Earth are looking at the exact same thing and maybe feeling the exact same feelings as them as they're looking up at the sky. Um, one of the the uh, people that I interviewed for the article brought up a very good point about how we take metaphors from nature all the time. Um, you know, there's something called mycelium, which is the um, the web of fungus roots that connect trees on the forest floor. And mycelium will actually transport nutrients between, you know, a dying tree will actually expel all of its nutrients and um, nitrogen and phosphorus through the mycelium to other trees in the ecosystems that are healthy and actually have a, have a shot at surviving. Right. And it has really kind of tipped, um, you know, people's notion on, on their head about what is, what is intelligence really, because I mean, we don't understand why that happens. It's not in the self-preservation of the dying tree, that's for sure. Right. Um, but there's something about that, you know, we look at that and you're like, wow, we really are all connected in this big web of life, you know? Um, and importantly, once we realize that we realize that what we are doing right now Many things that we as a society are doing right now is damaging the planet and therefore actually damaging us too. And it's, it's kind of a, it's, I feel like because of the disconnect from nature, we just can't see it. We just can't feel it. We can't really feel 
how our actions um, are impacting somebody half a world away, but they are, they always are. Yeah. I think that too really ties into the idea of spirituality because obviously the the idea that we're all connected, but um, the connection, I think that mycelium is, am I saying that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That story is so incredible because it's like the idea of, it might be inconvenient for you to, I don't know, stop using as much plastic or something like that. But the way that it affects somebody half a world away and realizing doing it intentionally, we don't know if the mycelium is doing it, you know, transmitting that intentionally, if the tree is intentionally like, Hey, I want to do something nice for this person over here, but we can know that we want to do that for ourselves. And I think that's a really important like step to take as we look at what it, what it practically means to help somebody and care about somebody caring for your neighbor. Um, And if you want to employ that practically, seeing how your actions affect your neighbor half a world away and intentionally like realigning yourself. Yeah. I love the way that you said that intentionally realigning yourself. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Um, You know, I think that is the the greatest takeaway from the whole piece. I mean, I do want people to use nature in order to um, help their own health. But more importantly, I think that, you know, there is kind of, I don't know if, I, I, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that um, religion and identification with spirituality has kind of plummeted recently. Like there are far fewer people that identify with any kind of religion um, today than ever historically in the past. And, um, you know, I, it almost feels like there is something missing because if you don't have something that you feel is bigger than you, all that you have is you. And is that really healthy for, for yourself? Is that healthy for society? Certainly not. Um, I think having, you know, those moments in nature where we do realize we're all connected, um, really helps us kind of stop being quite so egocentric. Um, I can give that example of, uh, the, um, the missionary that I met in Panama, um, when I was, when I was backpacking in Panama, um, I went on, uh, I didn't know anybody. Like I said, I kind of went out there blindly was, yeah, and <laughs> didn't know what I was doing. And so I, you know, went on meetup.com to try and find some people, um, you know, that were going on hikes nearby. And, uh, you know, we, we met in this like, um, food court of a train station terminal and, um, and I get there and I see someone who, um, who looks American to me and I'm like, this must be, this must be the group. So, um, I go over there. (laughs) A dead giveaway. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I say, hi, you know, introduce myself and we kind of talk about, you know, well, what are you doing in Panama? And he (laughs) says to me, oh, I'm a missionary. And, um, you know, I had this internal cringe moment because at the time I was still very much, uh, had some really negative uh, biases about um, about Christianity, and and that comes from a childhood of growing up around some kind of really toxic uh, beliefs that that were attributed to Christianity, which I, I don't believe was fair of them to do so. However, it still shaped the way I felt, and 
you know, so initially I was like, oh God, I'm not going to get along. Girl, oh, okay. Oh, Bible thumper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. Like if you're a missionary and you're going all the way to Panama to do this, you must be like hardcore right. you know, evangelical. And I was like, I better watch my, my language and all that. <laughs> Uh, no, no, it turns out she could party with the rest of us. It was great. Um, and later on, you know, we became, we became good friends and we still are to this day. Um, Brooklyn, hi, by the way, if you ever listen to this, <laughs> um, but there was one time where we decided to go on a hike in a little city called, called El Valle, which means the Valley, because it's a city that's within the Valley of an inactive volcano. And, we decided to go on a hike called um, Cerro Cara Iguana, which means uh, the iguana's face. I have no idea why it was called that. I, no, no one explained it to me. But it was a natural pick for the hike, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's it was going all the way up to the lip of the volcano. So it was it was tough. Um, you know, I'm we're going up like it's all gravel. So I'm like falling and, you know, well, just me. She's much <laughs> more athletic than I am. So, but uh, we finally get to the top, sweating our asses off and everything. And, uh, you know, we're up there and it's, first of all, the wind was the first thing that I noticed. The plants were all growing horizontally, like, because they, because of the wind, just oh. and that's how they grew. Naturally. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, we were like, you know, goofing around, you know, screaming into the wind, leaning against the wind. Um, and then, you know, we kind of got it out of our system, the sillies, and we, you know, go to the edge of this cliff, kind of this ledge that we're on. And, you know, we're above the clouds, the sun is starting to set. So the, the rays are going, you know, sideways and casting shadows. And we're looking down at the town and we can see our hostel that we're staying in. And, you know, she turned to me and she said, this is where I see God. And... I immediately just said, yeah, me too, me too. And I never would, I, it was just a moment where it was like all of those biases, all of those thoughts of difference, of those uh, preconceived notions of we're different, we're not going to get along. It just completely melted away. Um, and I think, I think that comes from, you know, mother nature holding both of us there and as, you know, her children and we could both see God, whatever that meant for each of us. Um, and from then on, it really did change my perception about religions. Um, and I've become, I, I think, more, uh, more open-minded about things and started to explore my own spirituality as well. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Yeah. yeah. I think we talked a lot in some of my classes at school about this idea of like, uh, before the scientific revolution and all of those movements came around we were really like an enchanted society you know everything lived and breathed spirituality regardless of what religion you were a part of it's just it wasn't really the norm to not believe anything um to be very egocentric mostly because it's not sustainable you know like you don't have plumbing if you don't have whatever you can't live unless you're connected to people and lots of times that meant being a part of the religious atmosphere of the town or whatever Mm -hmm. um but then you see like it, this movement where it's like, oh, you can question, you can not believe. And that has continued up until today. But I think lots of the movement today kind of says that um, it's not necessarily us versus them or non-believers versus believers. 
but it's more of like a sphere in which everybody's kind of experiencing different pressures, being pulled by different things and different beliefs and different spiritualities because we're being exposed to them now, especially with connection to technology. Um, you know, as harmful as it might be, it does allow us to connect yeah. to other people. And obviously like meetup.com brought you to that experience. Right, exactly. You know? But, um, you know, all in moderation, but it is very interesting to see that. And then in that you start seeing people who have an experience with, don't have an experience with religion growing up or they have a negative experience and pull away. But then it still feels like something's missing. And it's really like kind of what I've attached to is um, this this guy named Charles Taylor said a lot about the shadows and the, the hauntings of the enchantment period, like just luring over today and um, affecting us still to this day. And then when you see things in art, see things in nature, which I think the idea of ecotherapy, but also just the idea of being in nature Mm-hmm. reveals perfectly and that's where people start saying wait like just because i'm not a part of religion doesn't mean that god isn't existent mother earth isn't calling us all you know things like right. that whatever it is uh whatever it is for you 100 percent um i mean what are ghosts and angels if not like instinct that we've learned from our ancestors you can't deny that you can't deny that um there is there's wisdom that's been encoded into our DNA from our ancestors. And you're trying to tell me that you stand alone. You don't stand alone. I know, yeah. Yeah. And that's part of the danger of pulling away from nature is that, you know, if you pull yourself out of the context that you, your species evolved in, who are you? You know, like where, where do you draw your instincts from? Like, except for your ancestors. Yep. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. Same, same. I was fascinated by this because like I said, I was just so shocked that it was, you know, um, my piece was read in a, in a Christian university and I'm like, man, I really wonder what they, what they thought of it. But, um, I mean, this is great. I, I'm just so glad, um, that it doesn't have to be binary. It doesn't have to be op- opposition of, of, you know, religion and, um, and, and nature. I mean, it yeah. never should have been, know. Points, you know, it never should have been. Yeah. Um, I don't know how we got that way, but uh, <laughs> I, know. I think we just we're human and we love dividing things into categories and taking a good thing and messing it up just for fun. Just for things, you know. <laughs> I think that's probably pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, <laughs> I'm trying to think of what else I can what else we can chat about. Yeah. Um, something I'd really like to talk about would be looking at the practical implementation of ecotherapy, especially across like low income or people who feel like nature isn't for them because of their upbringing, because of their race or anything like that. Oh yeah, definitely. I have a lot of people. So I live kind of, I live out in the woods. I live um, on the border, like literally in my backyard is Shenandoah national park. I can walk there. Um, in five minutes and you know so for me I'm like well it's I just walk out into my backyard but I know for most of society especially urban society just do not have that option um and not only that but there are many people who have grown to become afraid of nature because they were never exposed to it at a young age I mean 
goodness gracious, the number of people that are like come out to visit me and they're like, I've had enough nature. Thank you. Like they love <laughs> it for a little while. And yeah. then there's like spider webs or a snake. It's like, okay, I'm out, you know? And, and, you know, I totally understand that because we don't live in a culture that, that, um, you know, exposes us to all those things at a young age. Um, but I think that every single person, because we are a part of nature, you know, we are animals. And, um, in that way, every single person on this planet already has some kind of a connection to nature. And, I guess, you know, it takes some introspection. Um, if you're one of those people who's like, I don't even know where to begin. I don't live near, you know, you know, nature or parks. Um, you know, you, you can start with, like I said, looking at the stars. Um, maybe you can't see the stars cause you live in a city. Um, listen to the rain, you know, um, play with your pets. You know, animals are also part of nature and we um, communicate with them in very different ways than we communicate with each other. And it requires attention. It requires us to notice things other than ourselves again. Um, so, you know, don't just, you know, give them a couple of pets. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, try to communicate with your pet in the sense of like, maybe do some training, you know, and then you'll start to see like, wow, they really are, are understanding what I'm trying to tell them. Um, you know, so it's different for every person gardening. You can do indoor, gar anybody can do indoor gardening. Um, and that is has been shown to help with a lot of mental disorders. It's just tending to a plant and you're like, look, I've kept this alive. Like, look at this. It gives you that sense of empowerment, you know, as well as feeling like you're like some kind of a green goddess, you know. Um, all of those things um, are really accessible. And even if you can't, like, listen to the rain, you can always listen to it on YouTube, okay? So there's no excuse, y'all. There's no Technology can bring you nature. <laughs> right? Exactly. You can bring it inside. And, you know, that's another thing is that, um, you know, in the research I was doing, I found that just like you were saying, and there was a study where they looked at a dental office. And um, for one group of people, they had a big abstract art picture and then for another group of people they had a uh, nature picture in the waiting room and when they tested their blood pressure the ones that had the picture of a nature scene in the waiting room they tested with lower blood pressure so you know if that you know change your screensaver you know go sit change your the way your room is set up so that you're facing a window um these are things that we don't necessarily think about and they don't seem like they would make that big of a difference, but let me tell you, they do. Um, you know, the, one of the most famous studies that really kicked off eco-psychology was uh, Roger Ulrich in 1984. So it's not that long ago. Um, he was looking at prisons and uh, he looked at, um, well, uh, in his first, I'm sorry, let me rewind. In his first study, he was looking at um, hospitals and post-operative stays. And the patients that had windows that overlooked a, um, you know, beautiful field with trees, um, they had, they requested fewer painkillers and they had shorter post-operative stays. Um, so, you know, these tiny little things that you would think don't make a difference, they really do. They really do. It could be the difference between you developing, um, uh, a dependence on painkillers or not, you know, I mean, that's huge. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so kind of to wrap up about ecotherapy, yeah. uh, 
obviously, as you said, like it's very recent. Ecopsychology is a newish field and ecotherapy is a newish idea. So how would you respond to um, comments about ecotherapy as like a hokey Appalachian shenanigans? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, actually, it's not as common in Appalachia. It's uh, much more popular uh, in the West Coast. So some people would be like, oh, that's just a West Coast thing. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but um, yes, no, absolutely. Um, there are tons of people who think that it's all just kind of fluffy bullshit. Um, and I guess... I think the thing is, is that sometimes you got to take a leap of faith. I mean, I can give you all of the statistics in the world, really. And uh, I think there's plenty that give you a compelling argument to show that there is peer-reviewed research that shows how beneficial um, reconnecting with nature can be. But at the end of the day, it's just a leap of faith. So that's it for this episode of Holy Ordinary. Um, Again, if you have any questions for Sarah, just contact me through the uh, Holy Ordinary Instagram page, which is at Holy Ordinary, and I'll get you in touch with her. Um, Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back again next week for another episode. Mm -hmm.